Romans 8, very specifically, chapter 8, verse 13. These are the actual inspired words translated into English for us. From the mouth of the Apostle Paul. I emphasize that. Under inspiration of God to the church at Rome. Written almost 2,000 years ago. The Apostle said this. With God speaking through him. Romans 8.13 For if you live according to the flesh. You will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You know, we're already on our fourth sermon dealing with Romans 13. Do you know what that means? That means we've already had three sermons. (laughs) On Romans 8.13. And if you're like me, you start to forget. Maybe you weren't even here for all of them. So very quickly, I want to run through six very important truths that we've already established in the first three sermons. I'm going to be quick on this. But six truths that are a foundation. So if you're taking notes, this ought to be easy. I'm going to give you six very clear foundations to the understanding of this text. First truth. You have two categories in this verse. You have two different people and two different ends described. So the first truth is to live according to the flesh, which is the first person here, is to live not submitting to God's law. Romans 8, 7, if we just glance at the context, we see clearly that those in the flesh have a mind that is hostile to God, a mind that does not submit to God's law. Always remember this. This is the very essence of flesh. It is rebellious. It is hostile to the authority of God. You will die if that characterizes your life. Second foundational truth. When Paul says you will die, he is speaking of eternal death. This is what our Bibles identify as the second death or the lake of fire. It must mean more than physical death simply because all people die physical deaths. But Romans 8.13 is speaking of a death that only some will experience because some of the people in this verse don't die. They live. And when it comes to physical death, we all die that. So, right away, we begin to realize just what's at stake in this verse. Death of the most horrifying kind. So, those who walk according to the flesh, they're unsubmissive to God. They just ignore what God has to say. They don't care that Christ has spoken. Death spoken about here is eternal death. It is the lake of fire. 
That ought to get your attention because that's at, what's at stake. Third truth, foundational truth, putting to death the deeds of the body is not easy. Now, I'll tell you this. If you look at the text and you say, well, where's that in the text? I'll tell you this. It isn't there. I conclude that of things Jesus himself said. Jesus says the path to life is a path of losing our lives. To live, you must die. And when you put to death the deeds of the body, you are putting to death something, part of what and who you are. So that, remember, the kingdom of heaven is taken by force. It's not easy, but it is the way of life. Again, that doesn't come immediately from the text, but that is definitely within the context of Christ's teaching on the subject of the path that leads to life. And so I draw that from Christ's own words. Fourth truth. Again, we're kind of summarizing main points that came from the first three sermons that we've already preached. Fourth truth. There is only one way to move from death to life. There is only one way to move from the first category in this verse to the second category. Listen. If your life is basically characterized by ignoring what God wants you to do, you're in the flesh, you know you're headed to hell, you know you don't fit in the second category, you know full well you fit in the first category of Romans 8.13, you do not jump from the first category over to the second category simply by doing what the people in the second category do. Did you get that? Because when you read that, you might be led to believe that. But I want to tell you what the first five chapters of the book of Romans are all about the fact that you go from death to life. Not by what you do. Not by what you do. Not at all. No one passes from you will die to you will live by trying to do what Christians do. Before I can live the Christian life, I must be a Christian. You can't try to live like a son of God and make yourself into a son of God. Fighting sin does not make you a Christian. It verifies and testifies that you are a Christian. The cross is all about what makes a man a Christian. That's what that is about. If you would escape the second death, if you would escape the flesh, if you would escape the sentence, you will die. Then you must find your way to the cross. Amen. Scripture says, whoever believes in the Son has life. Christ Himself said, I am the life. Putting to death the deeds of the body only shows you possess that life. Oh, folks, be clear on that. Fifth truth. 8.13 is dealing with purity in the body. That's what Paul's emphasizing. You see the word, it, he doesn't just say deeds of the flesh or deeds generically or unrighteous deeds. He specifically throws that term in there. Look, 
Romans 8.13 is specifically about killing in my body what Christ hates. God never assumes, never, that the body doesn't matter. Or that bodies are inherently evil and fallen and corrupt and that nothing good can come from them. Quite to the contrary. The Bible teaches that we are to glorify God in our bodies. We are told that the Lord is for the body and the body is for the Lord. We're told to control our bodies in holiness and honor. God wants our bodies kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is your bodies that you are to present to God in Romans 12.1 as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. When it comes to the Lordship of Christ... Every faculty of your bodies must be laid on the altar. Sixth truth, foundational. It is only by the Spirit you put deeds of the body to death. Romans 8.13, second part, the category that is unto life, you must put the deeds of the body to death, but it is by the Spirit. Now listen. Romans 8.13 says, you put to death the deeds of the body. You do it. This does not say the Spirit does it. It says, you do it. But you do it by the Spirit. That means in the strength of a person who is God. You must put to death the unrighteous deeds of the body, but not by any of your own unaided efforts, nor by the Spirit apart from your efforts. I can't do this all by myself, but the Spirit never does it without myself. You understand that? The Spirit does it only as I do it, and He does it through me as I do it. And this whole sin-killing, dynamic of the Spirit is unleashed by faith. We saw last week in Galatians 3 this truth. We receive the Spirit by faith and supernatural workings of the Spirit are by faith. So faith is the key, but not faith in the Spirit. It is always faith in Jesus Christ faith in the Son of God. The way to receive of the powerful supply of the Spirit in killing sin is never to look at the Spirit. It is to look to Christ in faith. The faith that unleashes, throws those damn doors open to this miraculous sin-killing grace from the Spirit of God is faith that grips and clings to Christ Mark this and mark this well. The Spirit came to glorify Christ. And if it is by the Spirit you and I need to put to death the deeds of the body, be sure of this. The Spirit isn't looking to get the glory in all that. He's looking to glorify Christ in that. You know, folks, if Jesus is not central to our sin killing, then the Spirit wouldn't be doing what the Spirit was sent into the world to do. 
There you have it. Six points. You hear flesh, think lawless, unsubmissive. Confusion in your mind whatsoever about what walking according to the flesh means. I'll tell you this. All you got to do is ask yourself this. Jesus Christ has talked to you in the Word of God. Do you just ignore that? If you do, you're walking according to the flesh. And if that's true, second truth comes in. You are headed for eternal damnation. The lake of fire. It's that simple. It doesn't mean just in a rage you're shaking your fist at God. It just means you just ignore what He has to say. Eternal destruction. Yeah, you come over to the way of life. It's not a bed of roses, folks. It's easy. Christ says it is. Every time you pluck up those deeds of the body, you pull out part of yourself. It's a life of dying. And it's hard. Fourth truth, you don't jump from the first category to the second category by doing what the second category does. You jump from the first to the second by looking to what Christ has done for sinners on the cross. That is a reality. And this, your bodies matter to the Lord. And sixth, it is only by the Christ in faith you can ever succeed in putting the deeds of the flesh to death. Now those are six foundational points. We need to have them. We need to hold them. We need to believe them. They're scriptural. I don't believe you can deny that they are. They are absolutely biblical facts, folks. But now what I want to do is take this foundation and let's build on it. Christian, from here on out today, I'm talking to you. Now, if you're not a Christian here, you'll be able to glean some things from this too. But my goal at this point is to help equip my brothers and sisters with a strategy to kill sin in your lives. This is where it gets immensely practical. Maybe this is a list some of you guys have been waiting for. We Christians are those who have moved by faith in Jesus Christ from the realm of death to the realm of life. From that realm of the flesh into that realm of the Spirit. We have the Spirit of God. We continue to look to Christ to unleash the power of the Spirit, the power of resurrection, the power of the cross. But what do we do with the power of God that is at our disposal? How do we exercise this power that is in us by the Spirit? That's what I want to address right now. And I have today, I have four things. This might be the end of this little sub-series in Romans that we've spent these four messages. There may be a fifth, I don't know yet. But I think these, if you, if you guys will grab hold of these four realities... They'll help you. They will. They're biblical. They will help you. So, my first instruction to you is this. Are you guys ready for this? Is there anybody out there that's saying, yeah, I really want some help with fighting sin in my life? Tell me, brother! Instruction to you is this. Stop sinning. saying, that is not what I wanted you to tell me. Now listen, before you write this off as overly simplistic, listen to me carefully. The Spirit is power. 
He is dwelling in you. You are urged to exercise that power. Now listen. Do it. Stop moaning and complaining that you have no strength. Yes, by yourself you have no strength. But you're not by yourself. That's what Paul is dealing with here. Do it. This is no place for whimpering and whining. Get up. Use what is in you. If you are a Christian, the power is in you by the Holy Spirit. Do you think Paul is simply fabricating something that isn't true and doesn't exist when he says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live? Do you kind of get the idea here that he is assuming there are people who actually do put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit? This is no fantasy. This is no fairy tale. This is reality. Christian, you are not hopeless. Stop sinning. Stop at once and determine to never do it again. Consider David, the psalmist. He knew about the deeds of the body. The same ones you and I struggle with. Listen, he knew what the mouth was capable of. He, he knew that. He knew about the potential for slander. The tendency to gossip. Tendencies for Christians and non-Christians to not be so honest like we talked about this morning by their expressions or by overt lies or exaggerations. Not keeping their word when they give their word. Filthiness of speech, angry words, backbiting, cruelty that so frequently and easily comes off the tongues of men. What damage men and women do with their mouths. What discouraging, faithless, bitter, heartless, unloving words come from our mouths. You know what David does? David sees these deeds of the body he was a man just like us, prone to the same temptations. You know what he does? He looks gossip. He looks exaggerations. He looks keeping, not keeping your word straight in the face. And he says this in Psalm 17.3, I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. My brothers and sisters... Right there is one of the most important aspects to our strategy of sin killing. You must determine that you will not give yourself to do what Christ is not pleased with in your life. There must be determination. Listen to me. Do you believe what Scripture says? Jesus Christ, we are told in 1 John 3, 5, appeared to take away sins. Not in a justification sense. He did that, but that's not what that text means in 1 John. All you have to do is look at the context. It's all about 
sanctification. It is all about the sins that you actually do in your life. We are told He appeared to take away your sin. Do you believe that? The very next verse. No one who abides in Christ keeps on sinning. You believe that? Do you believe He has given you the Holy Spirit who is God Himself in unmeasurable power? Do you believe He resides in you? Do you believe what Peter says? Granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness? Then brethren, in faith, believing those things, purpose like David did, purpose that you will not transgress. Look, consider Paul. Paul, he's at Ephesus. He's writing to Ephesus. He knew about those folks. He'd spent some time there, spent time there a number of times. You know, there may have been a young convert there. A man that was disposed to steal. He doesn't say, Oh, sir, I know you're weak and pathetic and just more than you can handle. What you need is a hospital. You know, you, you need treatment. You need counseling. This is just so complicated and complex. What we need to get, we need to get you off to something like uh, Thieves Anonymous. What you need is group therapy here. You know what Paul says in all simplicity? Let the thief no longer steal. Hey, Paul, that's, that's too simple. Are, are you saying never again? Are you saying he should just stop? No, no counseling, no therapy, no long drawn out period for recovery. Just instantly stop. And folks, that's what no longer means. So, yes, it means it ceases. Paul does not believe in some weak, Pathetic, miserable, defeated Christianity. No, sir. He believes that there is a real life-transforming power unleashed in every true Christian life. Of such intensity. Of such reality. Of such certainty that he can say no longer. And expect that they will no longer do it. You know why? Paul believes in regeneration. He believes this, folks. So much so he could say things. We've been looking in the Sunday school at Ephesians chapter 4. Just think of some of the things he says there. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. No longer? You mean from this point forward, Paul? Just quit it? Yep, that's exactly what he means. He expects it. He, he truly expects the Ephesians will not any longer walk as the Gentiles, he said things like this. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. I mean, just stop it. Let none. Cut it off. Ephesians 4.31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you. What? You mean just put it, like just walk away, like turn my back on it, pull the other way? That's exactly what he means. He can say these things and believe that true Christians will be able to stop doing what He is telling them to stop doing. 
You know what? Nowhere in Paul's exhortations and admonitions to righteousness and holiness does, does he ever allude to these ideas that they're not reachable or obtainable and that they're impossible standards only to be reached after death. He doesn't assume that. He assumes with his admonitions Christians will be able to do these things. He really is. Consider Job, that old patriarch. You know what he did? He says this, Job 31.1, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? Job, what have you done? I'll tell you what he's done. He looked at certain deeds of the body, square in the face. He drew the line in the sand. You know what he did? He made a covenant with his eyes. He made a covenant that with a certain respect to his bodily deeds, he would not dishonor the Lord. Folks, some of you just need to know about your sin. You just need to draw a line in the sand and say, you know what? I'm going to purpose like David not to use my mouth to transgress. I'm going to purpose like Job, make a covenant. I'm not using my eyes for things that dishonor the Lord. And I'm drawing the line in the sand right here and I'm turning my back on it and I'm going a different way. Amen. And you know what? God expects that that can happen. Otherwise, everything Paul has to say to the churches is just a joke. That's one. I got three more. Hopefully we'll go faster than that one. That was the longest one. But here's the second principle. Here's the second instruction. Replace the bad with the good. That's my second instruction to you. If there's something in your life that needs to be death, think about what it is also that needs to come to life in its place. Listen, Paul says to the thief, what? No longer steal. But he didn't stop there, did he? He goes on to say, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. You know, he says, here's a deed of the body. You use your hand to go steal something. Paul doesn't say just stop. He does say that, but he doesn't just say that. He says, stop and start. You see, folks, God doesn't want you just to be this spiritual black hole, all empty. You know, one of the easiest ways for you to overcome sin is to fill your life with righteousness and don't leave any place for it. Take those hands that used to steal and now take those hands and put them to work so that you can earn money, so that you can give and do what's good, do what's righteous. Principle is stop, but it's also start. Listen to Paul in Romans 6, 13. Do not, there's the stop, do not present your members. We're talking about the body, and when he talks about members, we're talking about bodily members. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. So stop that. But... Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Romans 6.19, very similar. Just 
as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. You once did it, but not anymore. You've stopped. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Start doing what you once didn't do. So you stop doing what you once did. You start doing what you once didn't do. That is very critical, folks. Stop using your bodies. Stop living in your bodies with wrong sin. Start using them for what is right. If you struggle with anger, if you struggle with gossip or lust or materialism or pride or drunkenness or gluttony or jealousy or bitterness, rage, uncleanness, hatred, you really need to start thinking about the opposite of those things and start giving yourself to those things. Listen, if in the end you don't have the ability to do that, then folks, the real issue here isn't that you need more instruction. The issue is you're still in the first category of Romans 8.13 and you're headed for death and you really need to be looking to the cross. You need to be looking to Christ to save you from the power of sin that has you in its clenches. That comes down to, to the issue here. Let me give you an example. Pride. Pride would lead you to use your tongue as an instrument of righteousness to carry out deeds of the body. Kill it. Kill the boasting tongue. Kill the tongue when it pridefully interrupts others and talks too much. Or when it pridefully complains. Because God has providentially brought something in your life that's hard to live with. Kill those eyes that look at other people as inferior to yourself. Kill those haughty facial expressions. You know, we were talking this morning. This can indicate a lie. They can indicate pride. They can indicate superiority. We have to kill Put them to death. But as you do that by the Spirit, as you do, fix your gaze. Your gaze on the standard of righteousness. Think about Christ. Think about what He did with His hands and His feet and His eyes, His facial expressions. Have you, have you ever thought about the rich young ruler? He rejected Christ. You know when we're rejected, we can give a facial expression that shows we're insulted and we don't like it. You know what Christ's expression showed as that man walked away? Mark's Gospel said he loved that man. I'll guarantee you this, there was an expression of love on his face. You see, it's not just when I deal with people, I need to get rid of the expressions that dishonor Christ and just be expressionless zombie. 
It's that I need to begin to fill into my life those things that are actually representative of Christ, honoring to Christ, that please Him. Cherish those principles of grace that stand in direct opposition to the deeds of the body that you are trying to kill. I'll tell you this, folks. Sitting over in the corner sulking all day in gloomy defeat does not produce. It never has. It never will. It won't in our day produce Christians that turn the world upside down. Doesn't happen. Never produces praying, fasting, sacrificial loving people of God. Christians who show the world that there is something worth having in Christianity. Christians who make it plain to the watching multitudes that Christ is really worth having. Christians like this come from somewhere. Men and women that will make a difference in this world. That will make a difference out in these streets. Make a difference over in Indonesia or Turkey or India or Peru. People like that come from somewhere. They don't come from nowhere. It doesn't happen by accident. And you know this. We tend to be soft. We get knocked down, wronged. We think revenge. Now, it may not be with a knife. It may be in your expression. We get pushed down. We think about striking back. We get knocked over. We want to throw in the towel. We fight a little. Come done in the moment when the fighting isn't easy. Do you guys think this is the fabric of those Christians who with grit and determination have gone before us, smashing the gates of hell, winning souls through the love of Christ? Folks, those men who stood in the evil days, showing the world that there is a Savior who is really worth having, they're the people able to say, you know what? By the grace of God and in His power, I'm going to make a covenant with my eyes. I'm going to make a covenant with my mouth. I am not going to give myself. I am drawing lines in the sand. I'm not going over them. The world can think me a fool. The world can think me radical. They can think that I'm just out in left field somewhere. They can think that I've gone and joined a cult. But I'll tell you this, folks. It's people like that who change this world. It's people like that who instead of coming up with some plan of revenge and striking back, when they're hit and they're knocked down, they rise up with plans and strategies of love and compassion. They respond like this. Christ is rejected. But it wasn't, I'm going to get that guy at judgment day. That's how we respond a lot of times. It was, I, I love that man. I love him. Folks, we have to stop doing. We have to replace what we're not supposed to do with what we need to do. The third instruction to you is this. Give attention to your mind. Why do I say that? Paul gives me reason to say that. If you look at Romans 8.5, those who live according to the flesh, which are the same people we're dealing with in 8.13, Set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit, which are those who are by the Spirit putting to death the deeds. We have the same people being dealt with here. They set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Paul is contrasting exactly the same two groups of people in verse 5 that he contrasts in verse 13. You all see that? What that means is this. The people who by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the flesh are the same people who set their minds 
on the things of the Spirit. What you do with your mind matters. When temptation comes storming into your life, how you think, everything to do with how you respond. I guarantee this. Those who succeed, guys, mark this down. Those who succeed in putting to death sin think different than those who don't. That's a reality. You you can't get away from that. And think about this. If the things of the Spirit, if it's those things that most set mind on, there are few things that we can say are the things of the Spirit more than the Word of God. I mean, Peter They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Word of God is the Word of the Spirit. Oh, we it's the Word of God. The Spirit. And look at So we really don't have the time. Here's the thing, folks. When temptation came to Christ, raging temptation, the devil himself, where was Christ's mind? Where what was his mindset? What was filling his thoughts? Thinking about the football game? Was he thinking about the movie he watched last night? Was he thinking about that? Toy he bought at Best Buy? Folks, I'll tell you what he was thinking about when temptation came and raged. He was thinking about Deuteronomy. Temptation to Christ. Three times Christ answered the devil's temptation. Christ was not simply trying to impress the devil with his Bible memorization skills, folks. Man lives by more than the bread we eat that served at the lunchtime today. He lives by more than bread alone, but by these words, folks, that come from the very mouth of God. And I'll tell you this, your mindsets need to be on the Scriptures. Men and women who conquer sin are thinking Scripture. Jesus Christ is our example in this. You need to have that Word of God permeating your mind. And I'll tell you this, there is a place for buying things from Best Buy. There is a place for recreation in this life. But I'll tell you this, if you are in a place where consistently your mind is filled with those things, then you are not balanced in your life. You need to be living your life with so much Scripture that that's what permeates. That's where your mind is. That's what you're pondering. That's where your meditations are. And if you're at a place in your life where Scripture is not one of the main things you're thinking about through the day, then you are filling your life with too many other things. You can know you have missed the balance in this when that's the case. Because temptations are going to come. And I'll tell you what, when in faith you look to Jesus Christ, and these, this sin-killing power is released from the Spirit of God, I'll tell you where it's channeled, usually, is right through the Word of God. The Spirit of God will bring text to your mind. And you 
in those texts and relying on those texts and looking to Christ in those texts and your faith that unleashes His power. There's a, there's a, there's a dynamic here, folks. You've got to be equipped with the Word of God. The mindset of those headed to life is that they have minds set on the things of the Spirit. If your mind is set on the things of this world all the time and Scripture has very little place in it, you just described yourself. You just put yourself into one of the categories in this section of Romans 8, and I'll tell you it is not a good category. You can't get away from it. You know what? You know. You know what you wake up thinking about. You know what fills your thoughts. You know what you drift off tonight sleeping about. I am not making any judgment on you. Your own conscience bears witness, folks, about what your mind is filled with. And if your mind is set on the things of this earth, you're going to die. Fourth. Fourth. One last one here. Just please bear with me. Passions. My last instruction for you this morning is this. Consider your passions. When tempted, well, let me read a text to you. Romans 6.12 Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do you want to know why the body becomes such a critical arena for this fight for purity? It's because that is exactly where sin is trying to reign. It's right there. And do you know why it seeks to reign there? Because it's got something in your bodies attached to your bodies that it is seeking to use to destroy you. And you know what it is? It's passion. It's desire. Do you see that there? Sin seeks to reign by doing something with your bodily desires. It seeks to reign by making you obey unrighteous desires. Oh, folks, isn't that what this is all about? It's desire. I mean, isn't that what makes fighting sin so hard? It's overcoming desire. I mean, we are... When you think about bodily deeds, they have a root. They have a source. It's right here in our desires. Now, the thing is, God made us this way. He made us. Desires are by His design. Desires, I mean, they're, they're something we feel. They move us. They compel us. What lengths men and women will go to to fulfill desires. Do you, do you see that? And unrighteous deeds of the body come right out of unrighteous passions of the flesh. In other words, when you do deeds of the body, that Christ is not pleased with. They flow out of passions and desires that Christ isn't pleased with. So the key is this. I need to desire what's good with a stronger desire than I have for what's bad. Or I even, and even more preferably, come to the place where I no longer desire the bad at all. So how do I do that? I mean, desires are in me. You've got them in you. How do I touch them? 
How do I get my fingers on them? How do I manipulate them? How do I get them to a place that I can, you know, do something? Equip me here. Somebody in Scripture just needs to equip us here. And I think Paul gives us an idea about this. Listen to what he says to Timothy. 2 Timothy 2.22 So, Timothy, I'm adding that, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Now, this is what Paul's assuming here. He's assuming Timothy can run away from unrighteous passions. He assumes that. Flee! Run from them. Well, he's not being sarcastic. He means this with every ounce of his being. Run! Well, I think Peter helps us answer the question a little bit more as to where we are to run to. This is what Peter says. 1 Peter 4, 2. Live for the rest of the time in this body. I mean, he's talking about our life here before we get to the place of physical death. And he says this. Live no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. There's an exchange. And you know what? This is so practical. Is it not? When I was lost, I lived for certain things. You did too. But you see, what we live for is replaced. Now, that, that, that is so useful. I used to live for the weekend. Why? I lived for the weekend because I lived to gratify human passions. I lived for pleasure. I lived to satisfy and gratify my bodily desires. But see, as Christians, we run from that purpose of life. And now I sink my purpose of living into the will of God. Your vision, your goals, your ambitions, your desires, your expectations, your aim in life, they're now radically different. You live now... I mean, think of... Folks, I used to live for Fridays. Now I live for Sundays. You see, the, the whole perspective is just changed. And there used to be a day we lived for the weekend. We lived for the party. We lived for the big game. We lived for sex. We lived for when we were going to get drunk. We lived for Christmas. We lived, I mean, there were all these things that sat on the horizons that we set our focus on. We live for and we long for. But I'll tell you what. With my whole heart, I can tell you. I live for that day I'll be sinless. I live for that day I'll set my eyes on Christ. I live for Sundays because it's the closest thing to heaven here. I live for those things now. And you see, we're, it's expected. You can turn your back on what you used to live for. And now we live for other things. Now we live for Christ. So there's four. If you'll get hold of these four, they'll help you. I'm convinced they will help you. Now there may be some other things we need to think about. I need to ponder that through this week. But I know those four right there. I know I've done long enough for today. But you, if you will apply those things, Christian, they will help you. Amen. You are dismissed.